Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, December 23rd. Do apologize for the lack of Mini Break podcast yesterday. It was a day in transit for us here at Crack Rackets, both super producer Daniel Westoff and I heading home so that we could spend the holidays with our families. Hopefully all of you listeners get to spend them with your loved ones as well, whether it be your parents, your siblings, your significant other, your friends, or maybe just your roommates, whatever it may be. We know these holidays are different than ever before, and we are so grateful you choose to spend part of it with us here at Crack Rackets. Hopefully, again, we get you in the holiday spirit. We get you all excited, as we all are, for the start of the 2021 ATP and WTA seasons. I think less than two weeks left until the play kicks off in Dubai and Delray Beach. We can all get really excited about that action, and it's something we will be talking about, of course, in the build-up to those events. We got the acceptance lists for both Dubai and Delray. Today, we learned which players are going to be kicking off the season, where they're going to be starting. Of course, that is something we will talk about on tomorrow's Mini Break Podcast, or maybe Friday, as I will be joined by Reem Abuleil, who, of course, is as well-sourced as anyone in the tennis business. I promise that will be a podcast all of you enjoy, and of course, we will talk more about that acceptance list, about the players we are going to see kick off the season as we get closer to that event start date. Uh, but of course, on this podcast, we want to continue our next-gen ATP 2.0 series breaking down those 21 and under players, currently ascending up the ATP rankings. There are so many talented young guys thus far. We've talked about three of them, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, Lorenzo Musetti, Yuri Rodionov, last podcast. On today's show, we talk about Emil Rusevori, who unequivocally took a step forward in 2020, has been so good on the challenger circuit. These past few seasons made that jump on the ATP level, making his first semifinal in 2020. Of course, he is now firmly in the top 100 exactly where you want to be as you continue to make your jumps further and further up the rankings. And as always, David Gertler joins me to break down Emil Rusevori's strengths, his weaknesses. We give some pro comps. We talk about when we first learned about his game. We chat about his upside, where we think he'll go in 2021, and so much more. It's a fantastic show, as always, that I know all of you listeners will enjoy. Before we get to that, just want to remind all of you, maybe you still have a little bit of holiday shopping to do. you got to cram in a last-second gift for your loved one. Maybe they love tennis as much as you do, and if that is the case, there's no better place to look for that last-second gift than our friends at Midwest Sports. They've got it all covered, the best brands, the best prices, the best equipment in the business, everything you need, rackets, shoes, shirts, shorts, socks, I mean, what else? A new hat. If you're like me, you want to hide your hairline from your loved ones, hide it under a hat. You can get a Cracked Rackets hat, by the way, at our Cracked Rackets store. But, of course, Midwest Sports, again, the best in the business. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. But with that in mind, let's get to our conversation with David Gertler, continuing our next 
next-gen ATP 2.0 series with a look at Emil Roussevori. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us for the fourth edition of our next-gen ATP 2.0 series, breaking down those young talents currently ascending their way up the ATP rankings. You know him as our newest writer here at CrackRackets.com. You may also know his work from Last Word on Tennis. You may know his all-about tennis blog. I know him as David Gertler. David, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. It is always a pleasure, David. You know that. It is uh, the fact that I can cajole anyone to come onto this podcast after how many we've done that everyone's not sick of my voice. The, the joke's on all of you. So thank you so much, obviously, for taking the time. And, you know, it's off-season time. I'm curious, what do you do during the off-season? Because I'm sure for many tennis fans, it's like, okay, there's not really live streams going on at the challenger level. There are some ITF pro circuits here or there. But how do you spend your off-season? So I check the, I check the ITF scores, but I'm a sports fan. So right now we got NFL playoff push, and we have uh, college basketball going. Uh, Michigan plays later today, actually, so I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. If you had one uh, match to turn to on YouTube, you just need your comfort food. It's your alone eating dinner, and you're like, I just need a tennis match to join me during this meal. What match are you turning on YouTube? Okay, so. I, I want to say a Federer match, but what I, a match that I turned to that I've turned to before that I think is spectacular to watch the highlights of is uh, uh, Nadal Verdasco semifinal of the Australian Open. So that is probably the most mainstream answer you've ever given me. I'm a little bit shocked. I expected like 2016 Tiafo versus Tommy Paul, or maybe that was 2017. Oh, I have another mainstream. You want another mainstream? <laughs> Please lay it on me. The Madrid semifinal between Nadal and Djokovic. Uh, <laughs> what was that? 11, 12, 13, something in that range? I can't remember. Nadal ended up losing the final of Federer that year. Yeah, um, that, I think, right? Yeah, I think that was one of those funky years. I, they've played so many freaking matches at this point. For me, our listeners know this. It's 2012 Australian Open Finals. Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray. I'll stop watching once Murray takes a th- uh, two sets to one leave and, and <laughs> wins that third set tiebreaker. It is the highest level of tennis that's ever been played. At least, in my opinion, certainly the most physical tennis that's ever been played, but uh, that's my more so than uh, Nadal Djokovic Australian final, the six hour, whatever, so however long it was. The most amazing part of that final, and we did a, uh, a breakdown of that match. We went back in time during the hiatus and uh, talked about it. Is the fact that Djokovic played the semifinal against Murray? What was it? The day before, maybe two days before, and then bounced back and 
beats Nadal in that five-set marathon? Yes. The first three sets. So the fourth set is absolute buns. Like, it's 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 not good. Um, and Djokovic just kind of wrecks Murray in it. And you could tell Murray's like, I got one more in the tank left in me. But then the fifth set makes up for it. And, yeah, the right. first three sets, just the rallies they have. I don't know if you ever had that nightmare. I think a lot of tennis players hopefully have, or maybe I'm just crazy, uh, where, like, there's the endless rally you're taking part in where it's just like, oh, my God, I'm keeping on running side to side oh, to side that. to side. Yeah, and that nightmare never ends. That was that match, like, in real life, personified, was Murray Djokovic. The points just never ended. You thought, like, it just took so much effort to hit a winner. It's it's why Murray's hip doesn't work anymore because that match was just was nuts. See, that's my type of tennis. I'd rather that than uh, serve fast any day of the week. Oh, a thousand percent. It's the Milos Raonic rule, right? If you're watching Milos Raonic match in, match out, unless you're Canadian, something is seriously wrong with you. But we have talked enough about those past performances, the players who have, of course, been great champions on the tour. We, on this podcast, want to look forward to the future, and there are so many young talents ascending their way up the rankings. Of course, we want to break all of those guys down, give you all a sneak peek of some of the names you may learn a lot more of during the 2021 season and certainly over the course of the next three to five years and with that in mind Westoff, give me that next gen atp two-point sound effect please all right, David, thus far in uh, this series, we've talked about Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, we've talked about Lorenzo Musetti, and we have talked about Yuri Rodionov. On today's podcast, we talk about another guy on the uh, older spectrum of this next-gen ATP group, a guy who is already 21 years old, part of that 1999 collective, a guy who has certainly made a jump this season as he now finds himself inside the ATP Top 100 for the first time to end a year of of course, I'm talking about Emil Rusevori, who the 21-year-old uh, out of Finland was uh, really, really good down the home stretch of this season, played his first two main draws at the Grand Slams this year, won a match at the U.S. Open before losing second round. I believe that was a five-set battle that he ended up losing. Also, uh, lost his first round match at the French Open, but still to get that first round paycheck, that is always good news. Uh, David, tell our listeners a little bit more about Emil Rusevori. Yeah, so the U.S. Open, I remember he beat Bettinay. Uh, he's 86 mm-hmm. in the world, career high, 84. He has a power baseline game with a huge heavy serve and a topspin-focused uh, aggressive forehand. Um, does controlled aggression from the baseline really well. Uh, backhand is solid but needs some work. And then I have – do you want me to get into what I think you should improve on or – uh, so I was just going to say, so hold some of that. Again, we're still working out the kinks here at this next-gen ATP 2.0 series, trying to figure out what goes when. Uh, we will talk about the things we want to improve on at the end. But I just, you know, again, even broader here for Rusevori, six foot two, right? 21 years old. Uh, you look at what he did this season uh, across the board. Had a really successful season uh, in 2020. Overall, he goes 27 and 15, uh, goes 27 and 13 on the hard courts, 0 and 2 on the clay courts that I think is something we will certainly talk about as you look during the course of his career 160 and 73 overall he's 129 and 42 on hard courts 28 and 28 on the clay you look at the titles he's won 12 titles thus far in his career uh or excuse me 10 titles 12 finals thus far in his career four of those 10 titles coming at the challenger level in 2019 the six futures titles he won all coming before that 
that. Of course, he's also made two other challenger finals in he, his career. And this was He really, won his first six titles overall. Yeah. First it, seven. Yeah, first seven and zero in his first seven finals. The anti Felix Ogier Aliasim. So yeah. I guess you know, sure, FAA is twenty in the world, but if that's the stat for you, Rusevori should be your guy. Yeah, I mean, look, you look at his splits thus far in his career. Played the most ATP matches of his season uh, ever uh, this season. He is currently eleven and thirteen overall in tour level main draws, but goes six and nine this year. Which to get six wins, that is a big leap forward for Rusevori. Of course, as you mentioned, I misspoke. He did get that five-set win over Badene in the first round before retiring in the third set against Casper Ruud. But you look at his jump at the challenger level. I mean, this was a guy who went 3-5 and five in 2018, David, then 36-12 and 12 at the challenger level in 2019, 7-2 and two in 2020. It's the steady progression. He goes, oh, I have to win futures level events first? Fine. I'm going to win futures level events. Oh, now I have to win challenger level events? Fine. One second, one, gonna... six futures in a row. Yeah, he's like, fine, I'll win challenger Finals level events now. And look, yeah. as a guy of Finnish descent, it's not like Tennis Finland is a powerhouse, right? He's not getting wild cards dished out to him in each and every event. He does get a, a wild card here and there, but, I mean, this is a guy who has worked his way up the rankings and earned a spot in the top 100, wouldn't you agree? I completely agree. He, in his game, is. I remember I was watching him in Tali... I hope that's how you pronounce it, last year uh, in Finland in uh, the Tali Open. Um, and he just crushed the ball. It was one of the more impressive performances in the final against Safwa. Uh, just total power tennis that overwhelmed opponents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and look, in 2019, during that hot stretch, it wasn't just challenger success. He got a win over Dominic Team in Davis Cup. It was a 3-2 and two win on an indoor hard right. court, which is probably the best surface for Rusevori at this point. But, I mean, let's talk about his game a little bit for anyone who hasn't seen him play yet because there's this, you know, I, I talk about this all the time. If you, and I think I've mentioned it on this series already, if you get the chance to go see FAA or Andre Rublev play or practice in person, the sound that comes off the racket when they hit forehands, it's like a jet taking off. It's different than a Federer. It's different than even a Dominic team who certainly can pound the ball, but there's just this sonic boom, and you're just like, oh my god, I didn't know a tennis ball could do that. Emil Rusevori, in my opinion, belongs in that category. I think it's both wings. Forehand, backhand, when he connects with the ball, it's a winner. Yeah, and it, he, and it doesn't have to be in a traditional position, you know. He can crack yeah. it from anywhere in the court mm-hmm. and yeah. hit those really strong winners. And you're right. The backhand is not as good as the fore, forehand, but it's still, it still can do some serious damage. Yeah. I mean, it's off of both wings. And I don't think he's the fastest player in the world. He's not a plus mover in that it's not incredible fluidity. He's tracking down every ball in the outer thirds. It's not like Demon Hour, right? When Demon Hour hits that forehand slap on the run, you're just like, this guy might be the best athlete uh, tennis has seen. And you're just like, uh, for Rusevori, it's a bit more traditional. And we'll get into pro comps later, but it's almost that Burdich power from the baseline, right? Where it's just like, if it's in his strike zone, if he can set on the ball and rip 
rip into it. I mean, the match that comes to mind, and we were talking about this before we started to record, earlier this season, he was playing the challenger. I want to say that was Numea. Maybe that was in uh, Bendigo, oh, Bendigo, which I, I definitely butchered that pronunciation, but he beat Yannick Sinner 6-3-6-4, and in that match, he out-Sinnered Sinner. Like, it was just big serves, big yeah. forehands. You leave the ball in the center, I'm hitting a big rip. And it, it was unbelievable. I mean, I know he lost a three-set final there, but again, to the wins he got just to kick off his season. He beats Ramanathan in three sets. That's a really good win. He beats Yannick Sinner in straights, Taro Daniel in straights, Dom Kopfer in straights, Dennis Kudla in straights before really losing in names. three. Yeah, to Cole Schreiber. Rusevori can play. I mean that that uh, he's a, another guy, and I think so frequently I've said this, and I'm, I apologize for these monologues, David. I'm sure you're used to them at this point, but <laughs> it's just the plan A. You know, does he have a plan B, plan C yet? No, not really. But the plan A looks so f-ing good. Yeah, and you were talking about um, how is you know a little slower, um, and that's definitely that's definitely about getting that plan B. Is his defensive skills can definitely use some improvements, which we saw in Nurse Sultan a little bit against Manorino um, in the semifinals there, which was a great result, though, making the semifinals of an ATP 250. A great step in the right direction. No, I mean, you look at his results this year at the ATP level. Uh, he wins a match in Montpellier over Dennis Novak. Three sets, hard court. That's a really good win. We saw how good Novak was this season. Then he lost to Gombos. Ding. Gombos chopping Rusevori. Gombos chopping Rodionov. Gombos, I think, has officially become the litmus test for if you're ready to be a top 100 player consistently or not. Um, but I mean... Are there? I mean, I'm going to list his losses this year. You tell me if there's any you think he should feel. I feel bad is the wrong word, but are the any of these losses like anything you would feel bad about? So that loss to Gombos, fine. But then he loses in indoor hardcourt match to Pospisil, six and three. He loses at Cincy in three sets or Western and Southern in three sets to Berrettini. He loses a straight set match to Kasparud after winning his first five set match of his career. He then loses to Hussler in three, seven, six in the third. Bonzi in Not four a bad sets lot. at the yeah. French Open. Exactly. Then loses in straights to Davidovich Fokina, loses Nursultan semi finals to Manorino I know it's six and eight six and nine overall if you include qualifying but like there's our excuse me yeah I think six and eight six and nine overall if you include qualifying but I don't feel bad about any of those losses I, like I, I guess one that I thought that I didn't feel great about um, maybe Gombos of the season to Klein I thought uh he might have been a little burnt out but his return wasn't great and his neck game left something to be desired yeah, but besides I, I, that, no. And and last match of the season, it's so hard to form any huge conclusions based on that. Anyways, I completely agree with you there. And like again. Nur Sultan semifinals, first semifinal for him at the ATP 250 level. That's a jump. That's probably the sort of result when he scripted 2020, of course, pre-pandemic, he was like, make a semifinal, make a deep run at an ATP level event. He did that. It's why he broke into the top 100. uh, Thompson and Kukushkin there to, uh, to get there. So pretty solid names. Kukushkin plays really well on indoor hard. 
Yeah, and the the big jump for me for Rusevori, the thing he continues to get better and better at is just the first serve win percentage. I mean, that thing has become an absolute weapon. He goes from winning 65% of the points in 2018 at the challenger level to 70% of his first serve points in 2019 to 79% of his first serve points in 2020. And at the ATP level, he went he's gone from winning uh 57%, 67% or excuse me He's gone from winning, uh, you know, 67% in, or excuse me, 66%. There's the number. I was having some difficulty there. Hey, great shot. He's gone from winning 66% in 2018 to 72% in 2020. It's just all of the shades. You know, again, I'll say this every podcast, half of tennis how can you do on your serve? Can you hold serve every time? Do you have that plus one option available to you to win points easily? Because in the modern game, so many of these players can do so many things. And Rusevori has plus power on the serve. He's got a plus power, plus plus elite power on his ground strokes. His ability to play plus one tennis on hard courts is a skill, in my opinion, that'll have him in the top 100 for a long time. And that serve can get him out of so many jams. It's a huge, heavy serve. And it's, we saw in Nurse Sultan, we've seen throughout his career um, that opponents really struggle to return his first serve, especially. And the numbers back that, like you were talking about. Against Mikhail Kukushkin, he had a double fault percentage of 10.6%. 10.6%. I mean, I, I don't remember what the number was, how many he hit in that match, but I promise you it wasn't good. And he won the match three and one. I mean, you look at his return of serve numbers, He, if you float a second serve to him, he is going to pop that ball big. And yeah, he does get a little bit slap happy. It can lead to errors. But again, all of the signs available uh, for Rusevori at a basic level that his game is one to certainly watch. And again, we're going to talk about that more as we go throughout this uh, podcast. It is worth noting for Rusevori, quickly want to touch on his junior career uh, because this is a guy with pedigree, right? And I know that's a little thing, but I I do think that matters playing in the big stages as a junior preparing yourself for the past five years at age 21 but you knew when you were 16 that you wanted to be a pro tennis player it's what helps translate to uh it what helps you translate and have success so quickly on the pro tour uh if you've had that degree of success and Rusevori did he was I believe the right. number four junior tennis player in the world he's a guy who made I want to say the semifinals of the junior U.S. Open in 2017 he's a guy who won the ITF Junior Masters Cup in 2017. He made semifinals of Junior Roehampton on the grass. He uh, has had, you know, he had so much success uh, throughout his junior career, and it just has translated so quickly to the Pro Tour. The question I have for you now, David, when was the moment you became aware, started following Rodionov more closely? Uh, so I started following uh, Rusevori more closely. Oh, did I say I Rodionov? Say I meant Rusevori. Uh, Sorry about that. Hey, great shot to me. Leave hey. it in, Westoff. Yes, Rusevori. Uh, Rusevori, um, when he so his first challenger title was on was in Fergana, um, and he beat uh, he beat Sid in straight sets. But when but when I first became aware was when he came, recovered from a breakdown and bageled uh, Paige Kristen to make the third round. That was probably what showed that great mental toughness to come back from that from the set down, and then he ended up winning the title. Uh, that was probably when I first became aware of his presence. Um, and it, it, and he really, he's really ascended quickly, I would say. 
Yeah. No, I mean, again, he was a top five junior in the world. He won that Junior Masters Cup, and that was a big moment. That was the first time I remember seeing his name pop up. But, you know, what's so impressive for him is, again, that same uh, end of season in 2017 in November, he won his first Futures title, and it came over Evgeny Karlovsky, who we know has obviously turned into a fairly solid pro as well. Uh, Yeah, just kind of, you know, three challenger titles in 2018. He gets all of them, I believe, uh, you know, before he turns 20. 20 years old and then for him to make that or to win that first challenger final in June and just that 2019 season in general I mean he made seven finals during 2019 you look at his record that year it was unbelievable Rusevori overall in 2019 uh going I believe it was like 50 or it's 56 and 18 45 and 7 on hard courts you don't do that if you're not the real deal we've said it all the time that the two challenger three challenger title runs so many of these players have before they make that big leap Rusevori had his in 2019 and so uh what's been he he won the uh Mm-hmm. Rafa Nadal Open and the Murray Trophy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just racking up all of the big titles. Exactly. The heir apparent, clearly. And it's just, I mean, yeah, you look at those pro results now, David. Uh, anything through his first four or three, four seasons, uh, there's there's nothing that jumps out to you. It's like, oh, that was a bad stretch or, ooh, he didn't play well there. I mean, the biggest thing you see is just all the success has come really on hard courts, except for, again, that one challenger clay final where he lost to Hanifman. But, I, I don't know, when you look through his pro results, what are the things that jump out to you thus far? Um, recently, like I've been saying, that Nurseral 10 semifinal is really the next step, you know, like yeah. him making that progression to the uh, pro tour. You know, winning winning that first challenger is always, you know, a huge challenge. I, I You know, Francis Diapo learned that, you know, early in his career. A lot of players learned that. Um, you know, it's really hard to win that first challenger. And so winning for Ghana was great for him and taking that momentum and having a great 2019 season and yeah following up in 2020 early in 2020 with even though we lost to Cole Schreiber in that challenger final uh that's a really good player to be playing in a challenger so there's really no shame in that and I would have loved to see how his game did on grass but we'll find that out next year yeah, I mean, you just look at the wins he has racked up over the past season or just really in general uh, uh, over the course of his career. They're all really, really good wins. You know, the win over Cam Norrie that he had in Antwerp. Norrie was playing so well down the home stretch of 2020. That was a good win. He also beat Daniel Galan, and yes, that match was on a hard court, but Galan really, really stellar down the home stretch. The win over Sebastian Corda in three sets at the Western Southern uh, first round. We know how well Corda played at the French Open. That's a really good win. I mean, you can look up and down the list all season long. The win he had, you know, back in February over Dennis Novak. Uh, the wins he had at the Challenger. It's just every He's time... He's beating a... Wild. Yeah, every time a question is asked of Rusevori, he has answered it, and it all starts with the first serve percentage. I mean, you look at the matches he played this season. He played 41 total matches this year, David. Over the course of those 41 matches, only uh, in, I believe, let's see, 6 plus 2 is 8 minus 41. So in 33 of the matches, he won over 70% of his first serve points. That's crazy. 
Like that's nuts. That, that's a that's a that leak. is wild. Yeah, and he's not John Isner. It's like it's a six two guy who's following up his serve with this plus one power. I mean, it's this elite racket talent. That's probably when you look at the most impressive serves because yeah, we've talked about the pro results already. The steady growth he had at the challenger level, thirty six and twelve in twenty nineteen. That's nuts. The fact that he made a semifinal at the two fifty level to end twenty twenty. Uh, all directions are pointing upward. And so again, when you talk about his most most impressive skills. Let's start there. What are the things we, we've talked about it a little bit, but just center in on the things you think he builds his game around throughout his career. The the serve plus one is very impressive for him. You know, getting that setting up for a short forehand after a huge bomb for a serve is one of his strengths. Um, controlled aggression is he can really hit the ball hard, and he can do it. Fairly consistently, I, I want to talk about his consistency a little bit later. Um, and that, and yeah, I think that his backhand's solid, and he can get it done. Uh, with he can rip some backhands, both cross court and down the line, at a pretty good level. Yeah, it, for me, it's the ground strokes, right? That's probably the bread and butter. The ground strokes and the surf. It's just if he gets clean looks at the ball. Uh, he has plus power. You're playing on his terms, and you're in trouble. And yes, that will lead to spring, but in the modern game, it's predicated at what are your skills at the baseline? How good can you be from there? If you're, you know, if you can control points at the baseline, if you're playing on your terms, uh, you're going to be able to find success. And I just think that's where it all starts. Fundamentally, his forehand, his backhand, they're mechanically sound. They're condensed, and on hard courts, they look so, so good. Uh, but yeah, let's good now, technique, for sure. Yeah, really good technique. I agree with you. But let's flip gears. You talked about something you wanted to talk about later, the things you need him to improve on. Because, yeah, the ground strokes are great. The first serve is great. I honestly even enjoy his second serve. And you look at the numbers on Tennis Abstract, he has been pretty good with his second serve win percentage over 50% these past two years on the Challenger Tour. He was at 50.8% in his 15 tour level matches this season. I do think, though, there are some things he needs to improve on. What are the things that jump out to you? Yeah, so when you watch like the semifinal against Manorino, that match really stood out to me because, and also the Klein match at the end of the season, in terms of three separate areas, I think if he really wants to make that next jump, and I, I want to, you know, when we talk about his potential later on, I think he has really high potential if he can if he can improve these three areas. So first is the net game, which includes the transition game. I think he is uncomfortable at the net. It was nice to see he won Bratislava doubles, I believe, with Hiliavara, who's a good doubles player at the challenger level. So that was nice to see, but he definitely needs to improve his net game. He's not comfortable at the net. Um, His rally tolerance, and I think this goes along with it, um, is the third thing, his defensive skills can improve. So Manorino, what he was doing was he was manipulating the ball side to side, putting good depth on it, and Rusevori really couldn't, counter that he looked a little slow with his movement his defense he looked like when the ball wasn't in the strike zone he was struggling to get a clean uh clean shots off and it and at the ATP tour level he's gonna have to become more comfortable on the defensive trying to counter punch 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with all of those things. I think uh, the way I would summarize it is it's just one speed all of the time, right? It's just always it's top flight. It's I'm going 100 miles per hour down the line or cross court or whatever it may be. I'm trying to rip ground strokes. And, you know, that's a really good mindset to have when you're a junior because you can be the world's greatest pusher. You can be this grinder who never quits. But at a certain level, if you don't have the weapons, you just can't compete Not good at enough. the top of the ATP game. Exactly. And Rusevori has those weapons, but he's definitely stiff. Like, it's definitely a little bit one speed. He has his stiff power. Stiff is a great way to put it. Yeah, he plays his power tennis, and that's really it. Like, that's the, and on hard courts, it looks really, really good. And when the serve is landing, it can look exceptional. But, I mean, there's a reason he has struggled on clay throughout his career. There's a reason he's avoided that surface. And I think it's because, again, that that's the word I keep turning to is stiffness. He's, you know, look— 28 and 28 on clay, it's not bad. It's fine. But if you want to be a top 20 guy, 50% on clay through the challenger levels isn't going to cut it. You got to be a little bit better yeah. than that, regardless of how good you are on hard courts. And it's because, you know, I think some of the his lack of confidence moving forward, it's very movement centric. He's always a step late when he's at the net. He should have cut off the angle a step sooner, been maybe half a step closer to the net. And so he leaves the volley floating or he misses it a little bit, or he feels more pressure because his opponent had a little bit more time to recover. And it's just like, those are the little nuances that separate the guys who can hit the cover off of the ball. There are a lot of guys who can hit the cover off of the ball versus the guy who are sustained top 30, top 20 players. And similar to Galan, who we were seeing, we're seeing a lot recently, I think that sometimes he doesn't take the opportunity to come in when he should. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he'll have a ball that he could easily finish at the net, but he just doesn't have that confidence to take over the net and play aggressively in that way. Yeah, in that or, sense. No, I, I very much agree with you. Or even... His return percentages, I mean, again, you look over the past, I think it's 52 weeks, he's cleared 50% on first serve percentage return only twice. And that's not bad, but, you know, he's been only over 40% in 10 of those 41 matches. You have to win around 40% of your opponent's first serve points if you want to be elite, if you want to be a top 20, top 15 player. Now, his second serve return percentages are outstanding. I think he was only under 40% uh, in like three of the matches. I think he was over 50% in about two thirds of the matches. And that's really good. And that speaks to the fact that when he gets a clean look at the ball again, he strikes it really, really brilliantly. Uh, yeah, but that's he excellent. Do- but he does get a little bit slap happy, right? There are times when you're just like, oh, you're, you're going to miss six balls in a row. That's cool. Especially when he's on the defensive, when mm-hmm. he just will try to you know, slap at the ball and try to you know win it on that shot as opposed to playing a safer shot that maybe he can get back into the point later. Yeah, it's just I I I you mentioned his defensive skills. I he's just not that great in the outer thirds right now, right? Like he's just a little bit rigid. Like it's just he wants to blast the ball. He doesn't shape the ball that well is what I guess I'm trying to say is it's really nice power, but you never see the cross court short angle or the, you know, the the down the line high elevated ball to buy yourself more time to recover. That's not his mojo. 
If we could only combine Rusevori and Rodionov, that would be a great, <laughs> great player. Uh, I would combine Rusevori with Davidovich Fokina. If you get Davidovich Fokina's fluidity with just the raw firepower, and I'm not saying Davidovich Fokina is lacking in raw firepower, but if he had that top flight firepower that Rusevori has, now you're talking about a guy top 15, top 10, like in my opinion, yeah. for sure. But. Yeah, I, I do worry because a lot of guys can hit the cover off the ball, but if you're not a top-flight athlete, I think movement is probably the, if it's not the most important trait, probably the first serve in men's tennis is still the single most important, but it's the second most important, and Rusevori's got skill number one. I, I do wonder, and I'm, I'm curious your thoughts, how good of an athlete, good of a mover do you think he can become, and do you think that could be an issue later on in his career? I think it could be an issue, but I think he can work on it. I think he doesn't have to be like Deminar out there. He can, he can if he just improves his movement by 10 15%, that's all it's going to take with the power that he has. Yeah. I, but that extra 10 to 15%. So what do you think of Rusevori compared to a guy who's really not that much older than him, only two years, uh, in Taylor Fritz, who clearly has I, a Oh, my God, serve. it's so funny you mentioned that. That's exactly who I was thinking of. Uh, when, as we were having this kind of stiff conversation, I was thinking of Fritz uh, yeah. in my head. So what do you think of that? Like, uh, you're comparing their two games. Fritz, so, I mean, his ground strokes are so beautiful. Aesthetically, technique-wise, when he pops a ball, it's really, really something. And obviously, we would all kill to be able to serve the ball like he does because it's literally textbook. Like when you're like when you are describing to someone, "Hey, just throw the ball in the air and then go and hit it. Go and catch the ball." Like if you were to describe how you want someone's perfect instinct to look like to do that, it's Taylor Fritz's. You're never going to find a more natural serving motion outside of maybe Pete Sampras. I mean, I don't think of Rusevori like that. I don't think of him. I don't think of him I, in the same realm of Taylor Fritz because I feel like there's still more shape to the Taylor Fritz shot than Rusevori. I feel like his is a little bit more line drive centric. But I do wonder if that's the sort of issue Rusevori might face down the road. It's that same Fritz problem of lack of elite athleticism, where there are just going to be guys who can move you to the outer thirds consistently enough that you're in trouble. And yeah, and like in like uh, Rusevori had so much success last year. Fritz was dominating the Challenger Tour in late 2015 uh, in the American Challengers. And just because you're dominating the Challenger Tour, when you get Fritz hasn't really ever made that jump to elite ATP level player, even though he was so great on the Challenger Tour. So just because you're doing great in the Challengers doesn't mean, you know, you you are going to need that defense in the outer thirds of the court, like you're saying. And I do think that Fritz is a little stiff, just like... uh, uh, Rusevori is, but I, I mean, I think that Rusevori has, I think Rusevori has a high ceiling. I really do. And, and Fritz still does. I, I'm not trying to bash on Taylor. <laughs> Yeah, Taylor's a top 30 player in the world. I think Rusevori, if he could be top 30, he would sign up for that as well. Um, and it's just, this is not batch, bashing on Taylor Fritz. This is part of this Next Gen 2.0 series is, yeah, we want to talk about these players' ceilings. Do they have the capability to be Grand Slam champions? Could they be people who really make their mark in the history of professional tennis? Because there's so many young talents. And of course, eventually, the big four will all retire and it's just like okay well there will be a gap is it going to be one of the current guys is it one of the next gen guys who knows 
I guess when you talk about a pro comp for Rusevori, let's get into that now. Who are the guys okay. that come to mind? Obviously, Taylor Fritz, uh, that's not a bad one off the bat, but uh, who are some of the players you started to think of? So when I just think purely, like, whose game does he remind me of? Like, whose ground strokes and whose serve? I would say uh, Jan Leonard Struff, although I think Struff is much better than that. Um, just in terms of the big serve, big forehand, I, what do you think? Is that acceptable in your eyes, or what do you think? It's tough. Right? So I have a couple of – I have, like, I have Burditch but smaller – if that makes sense. So it's like Tomas Burdich at six foot six was able to be a top five guy because he's six foot six. I think Rusevori has a very similar skill set. I think, again, those are two guys when if everything's going according to the script, uh, you are like they are going to look as good as anyone, particularly on a hard court. I think Burdich was probably because he was six foot six able to get away with the fact that he was just a good, not exceptional mover. And by the way, you're never going to find a human with bigger legs than Tomas Burdich. I think Rusevori has a very similar body type, just four inches smaller. And so does that mean he is maybe 10, 15 ranking spots of a, of a, of a lower ceiling? Maybe. Uh, but for me, that was the name who jumped out. I don't know. Make the case for your guy. Yeah, Struff, I think I, – I don't consider Struff to be a great mover. I think he's also a little yeah. stiff on the defensive. I think that I, – I just think that they're – that the serve and the forehand kind of remind me of, of Struff, remind me of Bruce Avoris for whatever reason, maybe just the, the motion or the technique or something that they are just kind of similar to me. And they both like to dominate the baseline and play that controlled, aggressive power game. Um, although I think Struff's, like I said, he knows much better when to come into the net and how to play at the net. And I think Bruce Avoris will get there soon. And I think maybe after this off season, even though it's a little shorter. Yeah, look, Struff was on my list of guys. I also have less athletic, <clears throat> excuse me, less athletic Songa, but I just think Songa more multi-dimensional. Uh, so that was probably a stretch. That was if this is the five thirty-eight Carmelo comparison, which they do for basketball. Uh, that would be like on the bottom tier. Um, you know, Verdasco, the way he just slams the ball. Uh, obviously, he's a lefty, but yeah, I, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I was thinking that's a good lefty comparison. Yeah. Yeah, just always fun to go cross hands. I also I had Nishikori at first just with the way they both blast the ball off of both wings. Just you know, like the way Nishikori because Burdich was probably hit the ball a little bit even flatter than Rusevori does. And when I the first you know I was rewatching that Sinner uh, Sinner Rusevori match before this, and I was just like, oh my god! Like the first reaction I had was I prime Nishikori hit the ball this big off of both wings and it was just slamming the ball I think that's best case scenario I don't think he's even near to that degree of an athlete but yeah and I think for me the reason why I didn't think of like someone like Nishikori is just because I think that uh, Rusevori's strength in his forehand but Nishikori's strength in his backhand you know mm-hmm. yeah I, very very much so I I'm probably I think Struff is good though Struff and I, I, it's a shocker that I like something I said. Uh, this is what <laughs> Jamie McDonald always calls me out. He goes, yeah, you're always a big fan of your own takes. Um, smaller Tomas Burdich is probably what I'm going to stick with. And so with that in mind, you start to project towards 2021 and you know what he might do in the future. What do you think Emil Rusevori's ceiling is, David? So his ceiling 
if, if everything goes right and he can improve his net game and improve it and, and become a little less stiff and better on the defensive, I think he can. Be, he has top ten potential. I really do. Ooh, um, I love it. And and I, I and I know I've been saying you know he has these negatives, but I think he's right near. Like these are things that if he can just improve on, he's going to get over the hump and he's going to be a top player. Um, and I really believe that for next year, you know, right now he's at 86 career high, 84. He definitely should pass his career high. I would love to see him in the top 50 next year. I think it's possible. And I think he has the game to do it. If you look at his career trajectory, everything suggests that he's going to make another big jump, that he's going to have success at the 250s the way he had success going uh, from futures to challengers, now challengers to 250s. He's already made a semifinal. All arrows are pointing upwards. I agree with you in that he's got top 10 power, and you just can't deny that. That game style yeah. is going to find a place in the ATP top 50, whether he gets there as soon as next season. I don't know if the consistency or athleticism is quite there yet. I also think for him, he's at a point in the rankings where he should go play 250s and make himself uncomfortable on the clay, on the grass, just get repetitions on various surfaces because we know he's good on hard courts. We know he is that good, and he will have enough rankings protection, uh, I think, with the early portion of the season being indoor hard court, the events that are likely to be played, that he should be able to protect his spot in the top 100. And then I really do want to see him hopefully experiment through the European clay season. I want to see him go play some events. I need to see more of him on other non-hardcourt surfaces before right. I'm ready to say top 10. Um, but I will be shocked if he doesn't spend at least a season to three seasons consecutively inside the top 30 I think if things break right, he can be a top 20 guy. I'm not ready to say top 10 because, again, you look at the athleticism of guys like Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Berrettini, Rublev, and, you know, Rublev's just a better version right now of Rusevori, right? Everything Rusevori can do, Rublev does a little better, and we've seen the advancements from Rublev moving forward, becoming a more comfortable volleyer, making a higher percentage of first serves. Better Uh, second serve. Exactly. If Rusevori can do those things. And I, I I can't emphasize enough how much better of an athlete Andre Rublev became between 2017 and 2020. The guy, I, everyone who, you know, the conversation was always Andre Rublev's going to become the best version of himself. The question is, is he going to be healthy enough to have some sustained excellence? And the answer now is clearly yes. I don't know. Like, I, I do think Rusevori could spend some time in the top 10. I don't see him yet as a consistent top 10 player. I think he's no, a guy. No, I who, don't either. That's why I, I think it's his feeling. So, if, like, all goes right. Um, but I think he can spend – I think he can consistently spend a couple seasons, maybe more than that, in the top 20. Yeah. I, I One season hmm, – do I think he spends more than a season in the top 20? I'm going to say yes. I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be All more right. than three, but I do think he's going to be a top 50 guy for quite a bit of time. I think he's just got that power. And again, you can you always be. Beca- it's tough to say just because, again, with points protections, it is good. It, it, it's That's even. It, like, if you go from challengers to 250s, you're going to have more points. You're going to jump up the rankings. If you go from playing 250s to, you know, and winning at 250s, it's just other guys also won at 250s, and so they're going to keep their points. So I don't know if he does it next season. I think he does it by the end of 2022, like assuming we have a vaccine. I think he is a guy who, yes, will spend the majority of his 20s, 23 through age 30, inside the top 
35 inside the top 40. I think he's never going to, you know, after 2022, 2023, I never expect to see him in Masters qualifying again, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'd love to see him make a run at a second week at a major next year. Maybe Aussie Open or U.S. Open, I think, are his best shots. Depends on the draw, but I think it's possible the right draw. What if he's actually quietly just grass is going to be his best surface? His just plus one tennis that would that would fit the baby birdich model where it's just it turns out he can just overwhelm you. I, I again I just want to see more reps on non hard courts because I love what I yeah. see on hard courts. If it translates elsewhere, uh, we should all get really excited. I totally agree with you. Yeah. All right. Well, then with that in mind, I will give you the final word. Any uh, more thoughts on young Emil Rusevori? Yeah, he's a really exciting prospect. He was one of the uh, players I was most excited to write an article about, just because I've been I've been watching him very closely over the past couple of years, and there's a lot to like, and there's a lot of potential there, as you can yeah. see from my top ten uh, ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then. Him, Musetti, who do you think, because I think thus far Musetti's probably the guy you've had the highest upside on, or you've thought highest of. Who's got the higher upside in your mind, if everything breaks right? Uh, Rusevori. Ooh, that is a spicy take. That is a perfect place to leave things. I like that a lot. Um, Well, with that in mind, then, David, for all of our listeners out there, where can they follow all of your work, all of your thoughts on a day-to-day basis? Um, I'm at TennisBlogger1 on Twitter. I am... I have my own blog, all about tennis blog, and I also write for Last Word on Tennis, and I write for y'all now. <laughs> and that continues to be a pleasure for us here at Crack Rackets. Well, David, of course, hope you stay safe and healthy, and thank you as always. I will mention again to read more about Emil Rusevori, uh, be sure to go check out the website, crackrackets.com. David and I, well, again, David writes it all. I just sort of, you know, leech on <laughs> at the end, but uh, be sure to go check out those articles as well on the website, crackrackets.com. David Gertler, always a pleasure. Stay safe, my friend. Thank you. Hope you all enjoyed our latest edition of the Next Gen ATP 2.0 series, breaking down Emil Rusevori. A shout out to David, as always, for joining me on the show. If you want to read more about Emil, check out David and my work on our website, crackrackets.com. We wrote a little bit further at length about him, gave a little bit about his background. You can find that again on the website, crackrackets.com. Of course, if you've missed any of our other preview content for this 2021 season, maybe you're a college tennis fan, our latest edition of College Contenders coming up tomorrow. We're talking about the number four team in the country in our Cracked Rackets poll, the Ohio State Buckeyes. If you missed any of our previous episodes, maybe you missed our talks with the head coaches of each of those schools, you can find them on the Cracked Interviews podcast, as well as our conversations with James Blake, John Michael Gamble, and so many more. Uh, of course, if you want to hear more about uh, the day-to-day updates, be sure to continue to check out this mini-break podcast. Again, we'll talk with Reem Abuleil later this week about the ATP and WTA schedules. We talked with Judson Wall, our Crack Rackets contributor, on Monday about the ITF action still going on and about the ATP Challenger season in review. All of that and so much more, all available on the website, CrackedRackets.com. You need those more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. By the way, 
on our YouTube channel. You can find our weekly recap, The Deciding Point. You can find our cross-court chronicle series, Cameron Mofid's journey across the world. You can find uh, Vicki Duvall's The Sideline podcast, all of that and so much more uh, on video on our website, CrackRackets.com. Super producer Daniel Westoff killing it there. And by the way, killing it with this podcast where, as always, he has a of an editing job to do. Of course, shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports for their continued support. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, David Gertler, our super producers, Max Fleeger and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both dra- uh, Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Druskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.